0: Why can't the board say this is the number and carry it all the way down? Why can't you do that?
1: Well, the the, the problem is when you um, look at the overassignment of quota, I've seen it up to three hundred percent. I mean, one hundred and twenty, you can kind of understand that's a little bit of latitude. Wait, when because you say one hundred and twenty, you actually mean twenty percent overassigned, right? Yeah, twenty percent over.
2: Okay, so that one hundred twenty percent, I don't see. Twenty percent, I see because of attrition and just you know maybe inefficiencies in the, in your sales process right
1: yeah but 300% yeah you know, That's you've got to do 100 absurd. million you add everyone up to 300 million cuz no one's going to hit quota and all you're going to do is burn out the people who are getting close and they'll fuck off somewhere else
0: Welcome to Sassholes, we are Revenue Ops with an Edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no-BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank Demand Farm, Analytics and Aaron J for their continued support. Demandfarm.com. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm's large deal, key account, and relationship intelligence products. Go to Demandfarm.com now to schedule a demo, ask for, Man. Brent Keltner's Womenlytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In five hours over five weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team build the mindset and skills for a new buyer environment kickoff and product-driven selling versus authentic conversations for all go-to-market teams team level sessions for self-assessment and team dialogue all go-to-market team wrap-up to identify top go-to-market strategy adjustments go to winalytics.com now you got some shout outs to do. Jay Bloom, eight years at Softchoice. Michael Delaney, new gig UBS profitability leader at Westco. Jeff, Dillman, Executive Vice President of Sales at Full Throttle, Eric Waltinger, one year at Snapsheet, Cameron Smith, three years at a Deontay Staffing Software, Caleb Gross, six years at Bank of America, Andrea Catina, four years at Hospital San Rafael, Heather Hansen, how you doing Heather, promoted to Senior Gainsight Administrator at AcquireUp, got some happy birthdays alexander madison molly o'sullivan lucy hillier another spin around the sun happy birthday so marcus cocky cocky that's what i say how like
1: milk and key like log Man, you're too picky at least i didn't call you I don't look like last because time. i'm gonna be on this regularly we may as well get it right once
0: all right, i get it <laughs> marcus Cowkey, like cow key thank you very cow, much our, our sasshole, from, sasshole from across the pond jamie carney we're d- doing this this fantastic show that breaks the internet weekly marcus you you are a very good on social media you got a lot of posts you got your own podcasts out there let's pub that up a little bit what's the podcast that you have
1: it's called the inquisitive podcast um, so we ask shitty, gnarly questions, and nothing is taboo. So we've done uh, gender, transvesticism. We've done global politics. Uh, we've done um, VC versus debt. Uh, we've done, I mean, pretty much any topic you like. If it's difficult and sales and management are facing it, we'll tackle yeah. it.
0: Okay. That's That sounds like a good podcast. What's the latest one while Jamie cringes? He's the only one that's got a real job
1: of the three of us. I I haven't worked for a living for at least uh, 20 years. That's Um, what I said. He's the only one. uh, Well, today we're doing, um, there's one on marketing. Um, We've got Ian Konyak's uh, just been on. Um, So talking about uh, high performers and um, the uh, finding that their success isn't what they wanted. So then they end up, Uh, self-destructing, and uh, it was his story of recovery. Uh, We've had Matt Dixon on, um, looking at how you can uh, recover uh, the quarter uh, by going back to your clothes lost. Um, Just such an eclectic mix, but I learned so much.
0: Let's go over that one. I mean, it's Thanksgiving here in the States. What do you got over there across the pond? You got anything like that? What do you guys sell?
1: We had Halloween. Um, and, uh, I'm sure there's going to be, uh, some bank holiday at some point, uh, in the course of the year, but I, I think it's, a, I don't think we've got anything uh, until Christmas. Um, okay. so we've we, we got a long, hard slog, uh, to finish the final uh, furlong of the quarter.
0: All right. So everybody's shitting their pants. It's, uh, we got a, five weeks left in the year. If your sales cycle is like 90 days or six months, what the hell are you going to do now? Is
1: well, th- there aren't many things that you can do, but um, the reason you're in this shithole um, is because of stuff you didn't do weeks ago, months ago. Um, however, um, chances are you screwed up um, on a bunch of deals that ended up in closed, lost, no decision. And those closed, lost, no decision, at least more than half of them, 52% of the 60% that end up in closed, lost, no decision. um end up in there because there is a fourth response to amygdala hijack, which none of the managers and none of the trainers ever bother teaching salespeople. You have freeze, flight, and fight, but there is a fourth one, which is flocking. And flocking means that you go looking for um, support and help when you're feeling uh, threatened or in trouble. Now, what's this mean? Well, when a buyer goes cold on you and ghosts you and they've got the budget they've got the authority they've got buy-in but then they decide not to go ahead and you can't pick you can't get hold of them for love no money the reason is you've probably been taught to ratchet up the pain or to really uh, bolt up the um, better future but what they actually need is someone to listen to them and pay attention to what their real concern is because what they're doing is they're catastrophizing and they're imagining things going wrong after they've made the decision, they bought it and their signature is on the contract. If they say no now, or they ghost you and it's no decision, it's everybody's fault. But if it goes wrong and it's their signature on the contract, it's their fault. So you have to anticipate their buyer's remorse. And so if you go back to them and say, Jamie, um, tell me something. Have you managed to solve your problem with X yet? Okay, I remember last time, um, I think we screwed up. And let me first of all apologize because I think I missed what the real issue was. And then go back and investigate that. And I've got clients now, I've got one client, he works in capital equipment sales and he picked up a 300,000 pound deal, which is now closing. And bear in mind, that was two weeks ago, um, and it was typically a three to six month sales cycle. And he's picked up one that was for 400, but now they're taking two. So he's got 800 and 300 says so 11, 1.1 million just out uh, bluebirds that he didn't think he had. Discounting? No, don't you, go discounting. You, gotta, you buy it today. We'll, t- we'll take 30% off.
0: No, Well, okay. uh, well right. th-
1: this is the brilliant thing because of the nature of what he sells. Uh, time is not on the buyer's side. Um, because um, the longer they take, the more likely it is that they're not going to be able to use this equipment. And as a result of that, um, they're going to struggle to meet their targets and their deadlines. So they're going to get hit with fines. And by going back and having the conversation about what the real issue was, he's managed to pick up another one point one million, absolutely crucify his quota uh, for the year. That
2: if you look at the champion, you can understand just by looking at the resume how risk averse they are especially in today's economy. If they've been at a company for 20 plus years and they're getting up there long in the tooth and they've got to go pitch this to their CRO or or their CTO or CFO, um, they're more than likely, they're, they're less likely to do it than someone who has maybe been there for a few years, maybe a little bit more aggressive trying to advance their career. They might be a little bit more aggressive on making these decisions, whereas
1: the other well, people I- might not. What I what I have noticed, um, and again, this is just anecdotal, so you can't take this as uh, gospel. Yeah. However, when someone is relatively new to their job, but they've been with the company three to five years, and they've made they've progressed and they've seen what doesn't work, um, and they don't want to fall into the trap of their predecessor, um, those are often a good one to go for. Um, yeah. Now, and th- 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 there can be mobilizers as well as champions they get stuff done and it's important to look for mobilizers uh people who actually take action and not only uh but, you know shout your name from the rafters um but i think there's another big mistake that i've seen you, you're seeing lots of layoffs at the moment in SAS. Yeah. and it's devastating for the, those poor buggers who are being laid off um, and i firmly put it down uh, to the feet of the investors and the leadership um Because the pressure they put the the reps under uh, to focus on short-term transactional pipeline um, means that they have no resilience. So as the market starts to soften um, and um, becomes a little bit flat, um, then sales cycles get longer um, and then people panic. And the natural response from leadership and management is double down on stupid. Uh, Make more calls, uh, send out more shitty emails that no one reads, inflict more adverts on people and burn through more cash. And uh, what breaks my heart is that there's so much talent out there that's being um, burnt out and being wasted um, because they're not thinking even into the medium term. If if people focused on the medium term pipeline and consistently did that, and they multi-threaded so they had multiple relationships, in six months time, they'd never have a short term pipeline problem again. Only this time they'd have coverage within the account, and part, that's part of the reason. You know, one of the reasons why your buyer doesn't sign is because they're going to get blamed. Well, if there's a dozen people saying sign, 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 and it's people of power and influence, yeah, you know, why would they hesitate?
0: Yeah,
2: if you're saying spend this time to get deeper and wider in your accounts rather than yeah. just cut ties and and uh, say go, 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 find the next. Uh...
1: I did a really interesting interview today uh, with a guy who specializes in uh, commercial finance. And what was really fascinating was the number of people who'd gone for funding when actually they could have got finance and not given any of their equity away. Um, and it was would have been significantly cheaper. One guy ended up uh, giving away 33% of his company or 30% of his company. In order to fund a capital equipment purchase, he could have easily got that on a commercial purchase as an asset finance uh, purchase. um, you using the uh, the products as collateral. Um, Why
2: why are people going more? Why
1: aren't they going to debt and using debt? They don't understand it. They're afraid of it. People. I mean, let's face it. How many people are even vaguely financially literate? I know I'm not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how, right, you are, but how many people run businesses of 10, 20 million and cannot read a balance sheet? A lot. So you think you think people are going for uh,
2: you know the venture capitalists and PE firms because that's just the way they thought? Ignorance.
1: Them they don't, don't know them. any better. Well, if right. all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. and uh, leadership comes from direct sales, cold new business. So where do they focus most of their effort on direct, cold new business? Whereas, in fact, if they were smart, they'd be folks that two years ago, three years ago, that have been building their ecosystem. Um, so that when this came, because it was inevitable, I mean, I've been banging on about it for at least three years, this crash.
2: The the biggest I think the biggest problem, though, with that, with going for financing, like I've done it, I, I raised one point one billion in debt at uh, a previous company. I've got a trophy sitting right here on my <laughs> desk with it on there um but i think the biggest problem with some of these firms especially in the SaaS world is that they've never really been cash flow positive so to go get debt when you don't really have um any cash flow is very difficult to do but if you are cash flow positive i don't understand why you're not going to use Mm -hmm. debt to get you to you know to wait until the multiples come back to 25 30 40 maybe um Whatever they, they, instead of 52 to 78 or
1: 80, I think somewhere at 86 multiples. Well, um, and Snowflake was 166x. Wow. Yes. <laughs> but that was an By the way,
2: that would be, I would, I would sit there and tell anyone who's listening at home buy Snowflake. <laughs> like, it's a great purchase because of who they're going up against. Uh,
1: they, they've got a unique. Um, obviously, we're not giving financial advice. For anyone who might be litigious, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer: I'm distancing myself from that brilliant advice. <laughs> so,
0: so Marcus, you you also ha- had a post, I think it was from like last year, and you brought it up again. Sales uh, a force for good. You had 25 points. You want to go through some of the uh, the. T- you can go through all through 25, but what what uh, resonates
1: from those 25 points? Well, what? How can sales be good? Well, Salesforce for Good was set up because I and a bunch of my um, uh, professional friends um, just got sick and tired of looking at the industry and the burnout rates and the exploitation and the abuse, um, because there's no need. When you look at the data, um, companies that have highly engaged employees are five times more profitable. 20 percent more productive on a daily basis have 40 percent lower uh, staff turnover and 316 percent average compound share price growth higher um, than people uh, organizations with average and poor levels of engagement when you look at uh, organizations that have very diverse teams um, they tend to come up with much more creative solutions to difficult problems that have fewer unintended negative consequences. And so I got to thinking, well, is there a better way? And I I look at the market and Salesforce for Good was set up primarily to create a better future for the next generation of sellers and to create the conditions and provide the resources for the next generation of managers and leaders. So we meet every two weeks and we pick the gnarliest, most difficult problems we can think of. And we discuss them. And we have a full-time curator um, within the group uh, who then captures it all, uh, then brings in additional resources. And all those resources are free for life for anyone who's a member of the uh, the group, uh, the community. And it's a high, um, a high challenge, high support community. So... We've set it up on the basis that there are no arseholes. Um, you never take advantage. Um, You're looking at bias safety is central to everything that we do. Um, when it's your turn to lead, you step forward. When it's not, you step back. So you know, play to your strengths. Let other people play to your strengths so your weaknesses are irrelevant. Um, um, then what else? Um, yeah, delight in other people's success. Um, you know, uh, play long-term selfish give, um, you know, I, I don't believe that you can give enough. What's interesting in my minor work, which is obviously a lot of IP, um, I constantly give my stuff away and I don't mind when people steal it. I used to, I really used to get offended. But three reasons why I don't mind it. The first thing is hopefully it's doing some good and they're sharing it with other people because I believe it when I put it out there. And the second thing is, um, I'm hoping that it elevates their capability, because God knows the training industry is pretty piss poor. Let's be honest, they fixate on technique, uh, which is the least important part of the entire sales process. Any idiot can learn a technique, knowing how to use it appropriately in context with sensitivity. That takes some real skill. And very few salespeople have
0: that. Well, you you bring up the training and I'm asking Carney, what? The old training, the best training for me was give them two days and then hit the phones and then come back and figure out what you don't know.
2: Yeah, but that doesn't, Pete, that doesn't work in enterprise sales. That is transactional, uh, like low ASP sales. Yeah. But I don't think train. there's two different things. I think, and and Marcus, you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but training the way we, you you remember from uh, our previous time, It was more of a how-to. How do you do this and how do you do that? Enablement, which is now the new coin word of training. But it really is, if you really think about it, it's why. The three whys. Why do they buy? Why now? And and how do you get them there? Or or, or what do they buy? And, And it's more of a thought leadership on how do you attack enterprise software sales? Or how do you attack enterprise sales in general? It's complex. It's longer sales cycles. You need to get wide and deep. You need to talk to everyone, you need to figure out metrics, you need to figure out all of this. I know you, Marcus, you talked about the jolt effect I think on a LinkedIn post. It's a great right. book, it's you know, it's all of that type of stuff. And that, that, is a, that is a, enablement is a huge proponent especially in enterprise sales. And the other part to it is you need to adopt a methodology, why? Because then the corporate operations team can look at the pipeline, trust the pipeline, understand the pipeline and make better guesses of what's gonna happen in the future.
1: And if you don't do all of that, then you're kind of like, you're training. Well, I I think part of the problem is the language. Um, If if you call it training, um, people feel entitled to having it done to them. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas if you change the language to learning, the onus and responsibility falls on the individual. And um, I I want learners. I want real lifelong learners. I don't want people who are coasting um, and are waiting to be spoon-fed. So when I'm interviewing, I'm looking for people who proactively uh, try to improve. Um, And I I want people who have a learning habit. Um, So I'm not looking for um, uh, somebody who's just read a book. Uh, I want someone who's read multiple books. They've looked at the problem through different lenses and they've tried to understand it through the eyes of the customer. I think one thing that every seller and every marketer and every salesperson needs to learn about is jobs to be done theory. Um, the, uh, the premise behind jobs to be done is every organization has a job to be done. And um, everyone in the organization is an executor. Their job is to execute their part in that job to be done. And it starts to make some of the most insane decisions of management and leadership really understandable when you put it in the context of the job to be done. So, um, if you look at the uh, the venture and private equity market, um, it, essentially that market is a Ponzi scheme. Series A invest, then they sell it to Series B, um, a bigger fund that puts Series B in, and Series A makes a little bit of a payout. Then it, they grow it and they scale it, and then Series B sells it to another fund, and Series A makes a good killing, Series B uh, gets a position and uh, or gets, uh, makes a little bit of a take and Series uh, C gets a position and so on, up to D and E and so on. Now, after a while, they start to think, I'm really fucking good at this. We should set up another fund. And that becomes the job to be done for everybody else. How do they feed the next fund and how do they fill it? And so you see that reflected in the long-term compensation of the senior executives. And you also see it uh, in the KPIs and metrics that drive the valuation, okay? And I'll give you a classic example of this. Um, I worked with a guy who was really good, um, coached him. Uh, let He managed to get his um, a, a job from an accountancy firm in Cork uh, to work for um, a, a Dublin-based SaaS company. And he was fired after his um, uh 15th week because he wasn't doing enough demos. Now bear in mind he was one of only two in eight of the team to hit quota. And they kept on the people who did the demos and failed to hit quota, but they fired this guy. And that is because the metrics were were such that he had to do demos. And if he didn't, the valuation number wouldn't be so good. And so they kicked him out. Now that kind of insanity is prevalent across the board because of the job to be done and immature management who don't know how to push back against shitty decisions. Marcus, what about
0: um uh, recruiting? Mm-hmm. If you got good recruiting,
1: you bring good people in, how long do you need training to be? Well, I think well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you, take you to the woodshed on that one, Pete. Um training is an ongoing thing. The moment you think you are done and dusted, you're ripe, which means you rot. Um, and you have no place in the future of sales. Um, But I know that that was uh, basically a baited hook, so I'll let you off. Um, But um, training and coaching um, need to be ongoing, and they need to be contextually appropriate. When when I run my training programs, uh, there is no technique taught. Um, What you do is you bring context, you bring real-life situations, and then everybody tries to work on the problem. And the reason you want to work on the problem through multiple different lenses is what that does is it builds up the neural pathways and creates flexibility. So you get situational flexibility. And that's what I want in my reps. I don't want someone who follows a script and they use a technique. You know, you know, interesting question. Why do you ask? Um, or, um, you know, well, it sounds like you don't want to make a profit. Of course I want to make a fucking profit, you idiot. Um, but uh, you know, it sounds patronizing when you use the technique out of context. And so what really is required is more operational coaching. This is coaching on the job in the moment, Jamie, I noticed then when you were speaking to Pete, uh, when you br- talked about the price increase, your voice cracked a little. Can we spend a couple of minutes finding out why? Okay. Dig a bit on that and then give them a two minute coaching session on how to deal with that. Then go away, practice it, record it, and, and then send it back to me. Now, this that kind of thing works beautifully and i'm getting people who are at 20 percent a quota getting 184 percent within 12 months well you have a post out there and i i'm
0: taking it out of context but you know recruiting partners yeah who you get whoever you let on the team you know so, sometimes you'll have a new leader now I'm just going back from memory. Okay. So uh, Jamie, you're more into it now, so you can correct me. It's not training anymore. It's what enablement.
1: What do you, what do you call it uh, today?
0: Enablement, well, it, it, Learning. Again,
1: it, Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it's called as long as it, it delivers the result. Okay. No one buys training because they want training. You you pay for training because you want performance to improve permanently. Who do you allow to sign
0: off on the people that you're onboarding? Do you mean when I'm a CRO or when I'm training? I'm saying that you have HR, you have a CRO or CSO, whatever the C is. Uh, You have sales vice presidents, you have directors, you have managers. The manager is going to have to eventually lead whoever they bring on. Who has final say to, to allow somebody to come on a team?
1: Well, I, I think the hiring manager should have a f- final say. But the problem is that most hiring managers have no idea how to hire. And um, what they tend to do is copy and paste the job description of the person they just fired. Um, and then they wonder why they keep getting a revolving door. Um, what you need to do, first of all, is you need to understand what the job to be done is for the person in that role. Whether it's partner, whether it's direct sales, doesn't make any difference. Um, So what are they going to accomplish over three years? And then design the job backwards in milestones of six months so that you understand what progression they need to have made. So when you bring this person on, what you're looking for is someone who's faced similar challenges before. What are the habits that someone who will be successful in that role needs in order to succeed? So um, one of my plans for next year, um, I'm looking for partners who can help me execute this, is um, I think there's going to be a a glut of really good operators, uh, people who are in operations roles in enterprise, who've been made redundant. Now, I can't train them to learn 15 years of planning, project management, dealing with politics, the internal moving parts of a business, but I can train them how to sell pretty damn quick. So um, my thinking is no one wants to hire someone any more than anyone wants to train someone. What they want is to hire someone who's successful in the role, improves over time and stays for many years. Yeah. Now, that's a good hiring investment. Okay. so what I'm thinking is we'll take people from operations roles, train them at our expense and then charge a monthly retainer for training and coaching and supporting and putting them back together and career pathing and deal midwifing so that they produce. And they pay for life for as long as they're on pay. Deal midwifing?
0: Yeah. Never heard that before. Making a note of it. Continue.
1: Absolutely. Well, deal midwifing is a godsend. um, This is one of the other things. If you want to bring deals in, do a proper pre-mortem and so I do red teaming. And um, so the red team attacks the opportunity. The white team has to defend it. And there are always at least two people on the team on the white team. So um, the white team. Because you're right. British, is that the red and the white? I, I don't know. I just went for that because red coats are coming. The red coats are coming. <laughs> Could be. Um, so um, the, the the objective there is that the white team is made up of the account owner, the captain. And whoever has to sign off on it, uh, the way I like to make um, this work is you can't put something into forecast unless you put your initials to it and one of the other team members also puts their initial to it because this keeps you honest, okay? Because if you're putting, if you're defending this in the red team session, you're going to probably find yourself torn a few new ones. um, And if you can't defend it, that that business is not going to go forward so you're not going to get the resources that you need because any pursuit in enterprise is fucking expensive I and mean, they start at you know, just to turn up is probably going to cost 10 grand um and you know even the first second third meeting you're probably talking 40 and to go full life cycle you could be and uh, you know high six even seven uh, and in some cases eight figures for some of those pursuits and um, you better be damn sure that you should be pursuing it early the best win, the second best win after um, getting them to contract and they're the right customer is an early qualified. No. How would you do that? Is the sales
0: manager, the team member that. Yeah. The only thing that I agree with everything
2: he said that you need to have a couple of people sign up. The only problem I always have with that is it ends up being a lot of times story time, right? Story time forecast calls. Like um, the, the, the frontline lead, the, the, the guy who's on the calls is telling a story to his buddy who is also his boss. And unlike – it's just they, they tend to blindly trust each other sometimes. And, they're you know, the, 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 the first-line guy might actually not have had that meeting but doesn't want anyone to know because he knows that this deal has gone south. Like, you see it all the time in the pipeline because deals never get lost. They just get pushed in enterprise. Like, you your, close, your win ratios are always super high – because every deal gets pushed until they can slowly hide it from you that they close lost it like i feel like that's what goes on in story time and i and
1: and and you know that's what i try to right but and this is definitely not storytelling um uh, there there is a rigorous pre call planning process a post call debriefing process if you get to that red team um it's gone through rigorous qualification and You've got to bear in mind that um, everyone in that room is probably four grand a day. Um, if there are eight of us around that table, every hour that goes by is four grand. Um, you better show up with at least four grand's worth of value per hour uh, if you're the person managing that uh, the um, the white team. Um, and if not, you will find out very quickly because it will become resented. Uh, and the beauty of this kind of level of um, uh, peer-to-peer accountability is that you don't show up twice fucking up. You really don't. And when we so- did, I, I did this with one of my MSP clients um, and they were looking at a 300 grand uh, office refit. Um, they ended up with over 3 million as a result of the uh, the, the exercise. Um, because they what they did was they investigated all the different angles. And uh, as a result of that, they picked up work that they didn't realize was there. In my sample size, about
2: 500 customers, right, that I look at, enterprise sellers, what percentage of accounts where they have a named account type of system, not a transactional system, what percentage of those customers have the the reps had zero meetings with anyone at that company in 12 months?
1: I would have thought close to 85 90%. Wow, that's um,
2: that's high. I mean, it's about it's about a little bit over two thirds. So
1: that enterprise. means if you
2: have thirty accounts, ten, like we're talking enterprise sales, so thirty yeah. accounts typically. That means they're involved with five actively, five passively,
1: and twenty are just collecting dust. Well, th- this is really interesting. One of my favorite uh, rules of thumb is Price's Law. Um, so, um, Price's Law states that fifty percent of your production will come from the and um, the square root of the number of people in your team so you got 10 sales three of them will produce 50% uh-huh. seven, the other 50 if you have got 10 disties 100 uh, sorry um, 100 disties 10 will produce 50% and 90 will produce the other 50% if you have got 10000 resellers 100 will produce 50% and 9900 will produce the other 50 uh, because talent grows in a linear fashion and whining, moaning, bitching, and complaining grows exponentially. Yeah. Um, and um, in the conversation that you were uh, referring to, Pete, uh, Zach was saying that um you know uh, often at trade shows they have this sign you know saying you, know, dis- you know, uh, resellers or distributors want it. And they sign up any random person uh, who comes up. I and mean, can you imagine if you are going to um think, right? Well, we need to revamp our um, manufacturing process. So we just pop a sign out um, outside and any random stranger who comes along and wants to sign up, we'll give them our manufacturing process. that That's the level of stupidity that you're actually seeing out in the marketplace. It's fucking terrifying. You're talking about discounting, 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 discounting. Well, uh, again, you know, this comes back down to that job to be done. idiocy. you see, um, I had a client, um, who two weeks before the end of the quarter was being pressurized to discount by 80% um, because they needed to get the uh, the new logos in and hit a revenue number. Um, he refused quite sensibly um, and then managed to make an upsell that was 60% higher than the list price two weeks later. Now, what sort of idiot is in charge of an organization where they are at scale encouraging that kind of stupidity. I and mean, Jamie, you've worked in private equity-backed companies. Help me understand the logic and reason behind that twattery. I have been at a company that did
2: that type of stuff for years. and really? uh, Yeah. And uh, then I was asked to fix it. It is like a drug. It's worse than heroin. It, I would say when somebody is selling in that type of environment, they're not really selling the product as much as they're selling the relationship. And no one buys the product, whether you're selling products or not. Agreed. But I'm saying it is all about, you know, like we I've been in I've been in sales cycles before where, um, you know, the client where, where a rep has basically said, hey, do you want to go on that golf trip again next year? you got to be a client. I took <laughs> you to a golf trip. you got to be a client again this year
1: to be there. I've been on a call when that has occurred. And, and the, the the most depressing thing is if the fucker agrees, because then they'll have bought something without it being right for the business. And some poor bastard has to live with it. This is the thing that really offends me because um, you got really bad misselling, but you've got misbuying. You've got a bunch of people. I mean, th- um, Maybe I'm being unfair here, but a large proportion of SaaS sales have occurred primarily because of fear of missing out. Uh, it's an arms race on the basis that our next door neighbor has bought XYZ products and uh, that's what their stack looks like. So we have to have it too. And th- most of the money that's been spent on this technology has caused sales to plummet. Average right. quota attainment, has halved in the last seven years as SaaS sales enablement, Martech, and all of that shit has exploded. Explain that to me. What's
0: going on right now, guy? Okay, we're trying to close some business. We're getting in in the states. You know, you got holidays coming up, people taking vacations. I don't know. Are you approving vacations, Carney, or is there, or everybody can? I you know I, I think in the last nine months i've told people
2: uh yeah i have encouraged people to take more time away from their computer away from their desk and said you need to focus on yourself now because the stress levels are so high in sales that um if you are you're sitting there waiting for that email to come go 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 outside get away from the computer and actually
1: become less productive i saw a stat yesterday or i heard a stat yesterday on the podcast actually um, that over 60% of managers in sales are now suffering from some stress-related condition. Now, what sort of idiot chooses to run their primary resource that affects every other part of their business into the ground like that? That that, to me, strikes me as idiocy, and we should be asking more intelligent questions. Like, for example, and I know there are people who are doing this because they're far more disciplined than most, um, how can we do our job successfully in 40 hours a week. Yeah. That would be a really intelligent question for us to put our minds to. What can we do in order to do less but better on purpose without any diminish, uh, diminution in the performance or the experience from the customer? The first question is, how many hours do you want your people to work?
0: That needs to be answered. Is it 40? 40, 40. Is it 35? Is it 50?
1: Is it 30? 40. 40? Okay. What, why, why can't they? Look. If you cannot create a job within the, uh, that can be done within the contracted hours, then don't claim that you have contracted hours because it's, it's it's irresponsible and a lie.
0: If you're on salary. OK. And where I'm going with this is we're getting towards next year. Our uh, quote is being handed out yet for next year, Carney. Yeah, well, I mean, they're being yeah. decided. Yeah. OK, they're being decided. But are they being? No, expected? you do not
2: tell anyone what your quota is until January fifth, right? If it's a calendar year, so you so to make stress, sure you close
0: out that year. So the stress that's coming on Marcus is these fuckers are they're pushing a number down their throat. They're like, no way, to <laughs> this, this number. Now it's not happening everywhere, but if you accept the number, if you don't understand your business, and you know that th- I have a twenty percent chance of hitting that. Target that's been given to me, a lot of stress comes from that. Now, I know that's a lot
1: of finger pointing, but you have to know your business first. What's your there, thoughts? There's Marcus? no question that, um, but you, the problem is everybody is looking at as you are, uh, through the wrong lens. If, you, if you're looking at the wrong end of the problem, um, which most of these leaders are, what they're trying to do is fix the symptoms that they have caused by piss poor decision making upstream. And if you look upstream at the intrinsic causes of discounting, um, high turnover, churn, um, customer dissatisfaction, um, unprofitable business, most of those, if you look upstream, the solution can be found by not making those bad decisions. And if you adjust your decision making earlier on, then there's a flywheel effect downstream and those problems disappear. And the problem you then face is it's like when you're running on the treadmill, not that I've done that very often, um, but then the, mis- you know, the power stops and you go flying off. OK, so you've got to be prepared when you start fixing things um, that all of a sudden there's going to be a vacuum and nature abhors a vacuum. So that's where trouble will occur. So you've got to plan ahead. And this is why so many transformation programs fail. You know, people don't fear change. What they fear is uncertainty. If the change is clear and they understand why it's good for them, most people will get on board quite quickly. Okay, we're an incredibly adaptable species like that.
0: So, Marcus, in your opinion, when, when should a sales rep get their quota
1: Going into the new year, how late can you go? I, I think the, the quotas should be as transparent as humanly possible. I think you should be transparent with your people about salaries, about quotas, about executive pay, about um, what the compensation and the payout is uh, for senior executives. Um, so that no one is in any doubt about what is what is driving things. Um, it's all the subterfuge and the lying and the um, backroom deals and the um, no one. To, no, all that does is create uncertainty. Our job as sellers, as managers, as leaders, our number one job is to keep our amygdala calm, because if that goes to shit, um, then everything turns you know t- turns to piss around us, um, and then to make sure that our customer or our staff members' amygdala are calm. And and if you don't do that, you just create a shitstorm. Human beings are emotional beings. You know, when you're playing football, Pete, you you know what the
2: tight end's job is, you know what the running back's job is, you know what the center's job is, you know what the quarterback's job is, you know how they're evaluated, you know what types of stats they're looked at and stuff like that. We should have the exact same scorecard for every single person in the company so that everyone knows
1: where they're at. Well, as a leader, Jamie, tell me this, how important is it that you can trust your people to arrive at the same point that they said they would, when they said they would?
2: Oh, I mean, that's, that's everything you want. If you can get that, then it's good. right? Right.
1: Well, why are we not asking the question? How do we create those conditions? That's a more intelligent approach. There's a the there's pro- a lack of trust because people have been burned in the past. <clears throat> of course they have, because you've Because 10% ruin it for 90% of the people, right? Yeah. But, the, but Jamie, the point is, if leadership was even remotely enlightened, okay. Th- this is gonna sound mildly political. It's not intended that way. Okay. Um, since um the Assyrians throughout history, where you've had miserable shitheads trying to take it all. The inevitable outcome is they end up being overthrown, beheaded, crucified, uh, whatever it is, and then forgotten or vilified through history. Now, if these people who are in charge of large amounts of money, instead of constantly focusing on the uh, acquisition of more, focused on a greater good and a contribution, they would make more money they would be able to attract. Because at the moment, one of the biggest problems people face is the recruitment challenge. Why? Because people don't trust fucking management. And justifiably so. You know what? I, I don't know if it's they don't
2: trust management as much as they don't trust... There is, there is one big problem in every organization, right? There are investors yeah. that can care less about the people in the company and only care about the bottom line, yeah. Right. And at the end of the day, they're going to sit there and, and the corporate so made the to market. make money. But at the end of the day, the economy turned south like overnight. Like yeah. the global economy went boom. And it's sort of like, you know, there's some investors out there that a lot of investors out there that are like, I don't care. Go make the money you promised me at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And so therefore companies are cutting the crap out of everybody to get to this new playbook and and I think it's because that conference room board meeting you know nine out of the 10 people that sit on the board don't work at the company that they're representing and are outsiders looking in saying I need my
1: money I need my money I need my money yeah, and all they care about is the balance sheet and the balance sheet is a byproduct or the numbers on the balance sheet are yeah. a byproduct of the behavior of the human beings in it um, yeah. and if you're trying to control the numbers you're trying, you, you're on a busted flush. Uh, then yeah, I mean, I think,
2: yeah. I, I think what's, what would be great is if, you know, the, when the economy goes south, the true leadership of your company should go in and say, hey, let's level set. We're not, you know, we hired people for a certain reason. Yeah, we can always lay off 10% at any given time to uh, and not feel uh, a burn at all, but let's level set. Let's reset our expectations. Let's look at the next expectations and let's just deal with the consequences. Make a smart move if you have smart people in there. Deal with the consequences and say, we're here for the long game, not the short game. And the short game means we may or may not hit our numbers that we promised you. But the long game is we're going to be here for uh, for, for a very long time for you to make your money. Then.
1: Well, exactly that. I, I've um, I had this conversation only um, last week with a client of mine. Um, uh, their business is going to be spun off um, and um, there's all sorts of stuff going on. He's inherited a bit of a shitstorm, storm. And um, the conversation he had to have with his uh, uh, GM was I need two quarters to turn the ship around because the stuff that should have been done three, four, five years ago um, hasn't been done. And we've got to turn the ship or we're never going to make that uh, number. And actually he's got a really good plan that will probably get them to uh, a, a step beyond where they uh, had to be uh, for their investors. Now, if he can get um, the the latitude of two quarters, we can get them there, and they'll get the result, the outcome that they want. Um, but the challenge is protecting him over the next two quarters.
2: Yeah,
1: and that's where you have to have enlightened investors who have a long term view. Um, and what they're really looking at is the outcome instead of the short term. They're focused on the job to be done, which is get the fund to a point where it's incredibly valuable. And uh, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment to try and find a fund that will play. Um, I've pulled together with about a hundred uh, partners in an ecosystem. And um, this stuff really works. Six requests for meetings, and six yeses. Um, and bear in mind, we're an untried, untested team that has never worked together. And we're having se- meetings with senior executives in um, some of the largest companies on the planet because they trusted me and so did the uh, the vendors. And so I can bring them together. Now, by doing that, what we're doing is we're spending a couple of hours on their toughest problem. And all of us are working on that together. And I think that's the way we're gonna start really creating uh, real cohesion and real value for customers. SaaS companies need to start thinking, which other moving parts um, can I partner with so that we can co-sell and co-market to our customers? Um, uh, Because customers are really looking for best of breed solutions to solve their problem. They don't want all Microsoft or all SAP other than, in theory, it's simpler. But what they want is a better outcome. And so we've got to get a lot smarter thinking about what are the real causes of the problems and how can we prevent them from happening in the first place? Here's a big thing I would use if I was a, if I was a board member, right?
2: Is I think in a down economy, the problems that existed in the company get accentuated, right? Yes. They might have been covered up when their economy was good. And they become judge. Yeah, but I'm going to judge the the leaders of that company if they are acknowledging prior to the economy turning south that these are the problems that are going to derail them in the future, and they're trying to adjust that before the economy. If they were trying to fix things and not just living you know, the dream and saying, wow, we're crushing our numbers and and our valuations, if they were taking a true look at themselves and saying, we have a problem with enablement, we have a problem with market, we have a problem with... Uh, uh, you know, getting leads. or We have a problem with uh, back-end product, whatever it is, right? If they were sitting at the board meetings when times are good and saying, these are our problems that we're trying to address, I'm with them. If I was a board member, I'd be like, I'm with you guys till the end because bringing in somebody else isn't going to fix the problem any
1: faster. It's actually going to stall it up. Jamie, you've touched on one of the most important um, uh, deficiencies, which is lack of intelligent reflection. People don't think – I'm convinced when people leave school uh, or college um, that they become functionally illiterate in in most cases. They read the red tops and the sports pages, um, and that's pretty much it. Um, They don't advance themselves. They don't think outside of the box. They're not looking outside of their industry. Um, They're not thinking about the medium to long term. They're not thinking about the uh, the meta-problems. You know, do you got to get above the clouds so that you can see, um, you know, every, you know, uh, into the distance and into the past and what's coming at you? Um, but they're not thinking about that because they're stuck with their nose to the grindstone, focusing on short term transactional um, activity. And it's insane. You talk about trust, guys. It starts
0: with the board, the yeah. board has this number. And I don't care what you tell me. Everybody's adding a layer of shit till yeah. it gets to the salesperson. All right. Yeah. And so here's what the board says: you got to get. And there isn't a trust of the CEO or whoever the sales leader is to trust that their salespeople can get there. So if they put a cushion in there, and each the yeah. the CEO and, gets oh, a sign, the, yeah. So yeah. so it gets pushed down, and then the salespeople get. I'm like, how the Fuck, do I get there? And the other thing is, quota is nothing but a fucking guess. Anybody that says that they know what the quota is going to be, they're fucking lying. They have no idea. People have no idea how many people should hit quota. It ranges all over the place. They have no idea. My point is on on the revenue side of things, if you want to make certain amount of money, you have to show that you produ- produced a certain amount of revenue. Okay. Mm -hmm. here's your salary, you got it. You have six months or whatever the time period is to get there. Yeah, I'm going there to get rid of pay at risk. Get rid of this bonus and shit. You just decide how much you want to get and show that you're bringing in the money to get it. It'll never happen. But those are the two things that I think that are holding up the profession.
1: Well, uh, I think that the way quota is typically decided is that there's numbers on a spreadsheet, and then they put their finger in the air to a large extent, and they add a percentage or a a chunk of money. Um, If they were sensible, what they would be doing is six months beforehand, um, they'd be sitting down with the CFO and um, the sales team and working out their territories, and they'd be working out what capacity there is within those accounts, and they'd be identifying the best accounts, and they wouldn't be spreading people so thin Um, I mean, my thesis is very clear. Um, Work on fewer of the right accounts um, and stop spreading yourself so wide. You know, to the idea that you've got 600 or 2,000 accounts in your territory, um, it's just throwing mud at the wall. Of those 2,000, there's probably 40, maybe 45 um, that are halfway decent, uh, that will account for the bulk of your money. Identify those. Spend time. in the months preceding the uh, the turn of the year and the new financial year, prepping. Start working your medium-term pipeline so that when you move into the next financial year, um, you've already got a steady pipeline. You're well-engaged with the right kind of people. uh, And you're tracking where they are in their buying journey. Are they making space because they've suddenly realized there is a problem they can't quite put their finger on it? Are they impassive looking where they're learning? Um, how they might solve their problem Um, are they at the point where they're active looking where they're looking at what their options are and trying to work out what choices they can make Um, are they in um, deciding mode where they're making trade-offs Um, where they're deciding do we need five bedrooms or four do we need a second bathroom do we have to have good access uh, to roads and uh, airports do we need good schools that's what would you know people do when they make a decision. They start removing stuff from their option palette. Okay. Now, the problem is that most salespeople have no idea about the buying journey. So then they start attacking the prospect um, at the wrong time. Their marketing is, you know, I, I know people who are signed up as customers and they're getting marketing material uh, from companies that they're already paying trying to get them to sign up as new customers and offering them deals that offend them. Because they're better than the ones that they get as loyal customers. I mean, how insane is that? Well, you can't pay full salary to
0: salespeople. That's, what you're gonna tell that's me. where you're going. Well, I already said it, but it, you can't make it
1: happen. And then you can't... Yep, I agree and with that. And the, this again, think about the in, in massive, obscene cost of recruitment and then the cost of bad hires in enterprise i'll say anyone who wants it i'll send you my article that i wrote which is a calculator for enterprise the cost of a bad hire in enterprise it's anywhere between 35 and 125 times salary and i don't think i'm being even mildly exaggerating when when you consider that you could be knocked out of an account for three five even ten years and the referrals uh, the upsells across sells uh, the enterprise opportunities of selling into the ecosystem of the organic growth the jvs uh, the customer's customer alumni family tree and you're locked out because you turn up and you're horrible you're just you know you you've, you're selfish um you um you don't pay any attention to the customer um you're irrelevant and then you wonder why you're not hitting quota if you're
2: selling correctly, like I, I, I truly believe in the enterprise world, if you're selling your product and your product makes sense and you're, you're professional about how you go about it, the only real variable that should play in there is the time to get the client, something you can't control, to buy, right? And time kills all deals, I get it. But that should be the only variable. I know that this client needs us. I've identified that this client has pain, I've, I've done this. I'm going through this process. I'm talking to them professionally and I'm constantly talking to them. And then the only thing should be time. Why should, why should we fire you? Because the client said, oops, give me two weeks. Yeah. You know, instead, sometimes like, well, you called it this quarter. I'm like,
1: I get it. But the client Evan said, give me two weeks. But all you do it's by serious. by behaving that way is encourage your salespeople to lie to you. So then they sandbag. So your forecast is shot to shit. With your and numbers, are or stupid. they also
0: they play, they start playing games with the client. Storytelling, Reps telling you a story. Well, the first I don't want to hear is- the pain. I want to see the baby. So talk
1: to me about the midwife. Right. Okay. Well, the f- the first thing is um, make sure that your salespeople know that failure is okay. Hiding it is not. Uh, f- as far as I'm concerned, the one uh, really suckable offense is hiding your mistakes. Yeah. Um, so I really like Ray Dalio's idea of keeping a failure log. And every week uh, the team goes through the failures, what they fucked up and how we fix it. And Because making the same mistake quite twice is a decision. It's intentional because you haven't done anything about it. And that's lazy. And frankly, um, there must be serious consequences for that. If you wanna
2: be part of the solution in the future, you need to (laughs) embrace the the mistakes on the way.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Stop with team uh, pipeline reviews. A pipeline review should be a three minute a day exercise between the manager and the rep. What's changed, what's new, what's stuck, do you need help? That's it, okay? And don't and think about it. You've got someone making 1.2 million target a year. Okay. They're worth $4,000 a day. That's um, $500 an hour. If I've got eight of them sat around um, a table listening to seven other people live from their work of fiction, also known as the forecast, I've just wasted four grand. I do that every week. That's 48 weeks a year. Or in, in that case, in, in your case, it's 50 because you work silly hours. Um, so that's 50 <laughs> times 400,000, there's two two uh, 200,000 that I've just pissed away in cost that have been hidden that I could have used on more productive activity. Okay, that's 50 hours, uh, that eight people, that's 400 hours of time they could have spent prospecting or in front of the customer. So first thing we do is we do away with team forecasting meetings. The second thing is um, there is a clear um, set of questions about the pipeline. Now every day there's the 3 minute review and then once a week there's a proper pipeline review where you go through everything that's in the pipeline one on one okay managers need to spend their time with their people coaching and helping them to succeed okay um and uh, then you go through the deals forensically that um if they haven't got a pre call plan then that's serious consequences why did you not plan when he turned up not only are you worth four grand an hour uh, four grand a day okay and you're probably going to cost me two grand just turning up to see that uh, that prospect but that person is responsible for a hundred million PL. their time is worth fifty thousand an hour and if i don't turn up prepared and adding value to them they ain't inviting me back okay so pr- planning and preparation rehearsal Three hours of uh, rehearsal for every hour you are in front of the customer. Oh no, we don't have time for that. Of course you fucking don't because you're not fucking coaching and you're not planning and you're working on, you're spreading yourself too thin. Okay. Next thing you do is um, when someone comes out of a meeting within 20 minutes, they do a written post-call debrief. So it's fresh. And there is a structure to that. Okay. Um, what worked? What new stuff did we learn? What red flags? Is there any are there any unanswered questions? Uh, you know, people, next steps, all that kind of stuff. And then you verbally debrief within two hours with someone senior who knows how to interrogate an opportunity to identify any gaps, any unasked questions and so on. Now, if you if you actually put this effort in, your forecast variance is somewhere between three and five percent. As opposed to the 30 to 80% that most people have. Marcus Kauke, you're a pretty good sasshole, my friend. Thank you very much. <laughs> I've learned from other people. I've done nothing original. I've managed to steal and cobble We're stuff all again. stealing. Yeah, of course we are. We're all
0: stealing. Everything's derivative. We're all thieves. We're all yeah. liars. That's why we're stealing. Talent creates genius steals? Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank Demand Farm, Analytics and Aaron J for their continued support. DemandFarm.com. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm's large deal key account and relationship intelligence products. Go to DemandFarm.com now to schedule a demo. Ask for Iron Man. Brent Keltner's WinAnalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In five hours over five weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team build the mindset and skills for a new buyer environment. Kickoff off product-driven selling versus authentic conversations for all go-to-market teams. Team-level sessions for self-assessment and team dialogue. All go-to-market team wrap-up to identify top go-to-market strategy adjustments. Go to winalytics.com now.